We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning and give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That is Psalm 107.1 and we are in Thanksgiving week and I am so blessed to be here with my family in the well, formerly great state of Colorado. Um, we'll we'll hopefully get it back to being being great if uh, the the left and their progressive policies don't completely uh, destroy the state before we can uh, get it back to more conservatism. But uh, we are still giving thanks to the Lord for the beauty of His creation. Um, I was so blessed to to grow up in Colorado and see the Rocky Mountains every day, and I just can't fathom how anyone looks at God's creation and thinks somehow that this is all random and by chance and there's no purpose, there's no God, and yet we can not only have the beauty of creation, but we have the capacity to see and appreciate it and discover beauty. Um, Because that whole finely tuned universe and the way that we can have the capacity as human beings and we have the capacity to appreciate beauty and to see the goodness of the Lord in the natural revelation of the world that he has created for us to enjoy um, just does declare the glory of God. And every time that um, I am out in nature, which is not a lot, by the way, I mean, I am not one of those that likes camping or hiking, camping to me is anything below a three-star hotel, <laughs> and and it has to at least have you know a really good bathtub and and all of that. But um, but I like going out in nature during the day and then coming back to civilization because God also blessed me with being born in this generation that you know we've we've sort of survived the wild and we have um, we have have civilization so so why should we go out and you know survive the elements i'm like that's what that's what we did for you know thousands of years and and now we don't have to do that anymore um but when we go outside and and i know there are a ton of people that love hiking and more power to you um that that's just not my cup of tea but um but when i go outside and i love going out in nature and you know rocky mountain national park is so beautiful um i remember as as a kid um in homeschooling we actually had a um, there was some homeschool magazine, and I forget which one it was, um, but there was a magazine that asked kids to go out somewhere in nature and write a reflection. And I remember um, my family going up to Rocky Mountain National Park and going to this place where we uh, sat and, and would have picnics a lot growing up and um, and just reflecting on the goodness of the Lord. And, and I still have that little essay that I wrote probably in first grade 
um, talking about the glory of the Lord that is reflected in uh, the beauty of his creation and giving thanks to the Lord for that. And um, I won four coloring books and um, I was so excited because they were also different aspects of creation. And so it was a creation theme and um, giving thanks to the Lord for the things that we I think take for granted every day that, um, you know, we can get up and have the capacity to appreciate his beauty and uh, enjoy the things that he has created for us. Um, When we all partake in Thanksgiving dinner, and um, I know a a lot of people have various traditions and different uh, aspects of Thanksgiving dinner that's special and unique to their family. Um, remember that we get to enjoy that and that we we have things as complex as taste buds that allow us to not just eat for survival, but to actually enjoy the goodness of the Lord. And I think too often when we only reflect on um, some of the difficulties that are going on in society, then um, we we sometimes fail to get up in the morning and think, we can really give thanks and enjoy the Lord. So, um, so I'm I'm reflecting this morning on uh, Psalm 107:1. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good; His love endures forever. And um, I was out uh, Christmas shopping a little bit with my family yesterday, and we were listening to some some Christmas carols and you know some of these old CDs that we've had since like you know probably this, the 80s to be honest. And um, and my mom was saying, you know, isn't it? <sighs> sad, quite frankly, that when these Christmas carols were first written and and when we first started um, enjoying them, the the nostalgia, part of the um, almost sadness of of the aura of the holidays sometimes is that we look back on what society used to be when we remember the the Christmases of the past. And, uh, and it's so true. I mean, the world is such a different place in terms of civil society than it used to be. And um, one of the top stories this morning really reflects that. It's a poll that 77% of Democrats favor abortion. This comes from the Wall Street Journal, that new results from a Wall Street Journal polls show that American support for abortion access, and of course, that's a leftist term, abortion access, it should be uh, baby murder, but abortion access is how they term it in the Wall Street Journal, is at one of the highest levels on record since nonpartisan researchers began tracking it in the 1970s. Of course, 1973 was Roe versus Wade. Some 55% of respondents say it should be possible for a pregnant woman to obtain a legal abortion if she wants it for any reason. So since the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade and ended the so-called constitutional right to the procedure, abortion rights groups have notched seven consecutive victories in state ballot initiatives. They include the Ohio measure earlier this month to protect abortion under the state constitution. And behind these successes is a decades-long shift among Americans in support of access to the procedure. About 77% of Democrats in the new poll say they support abortion for any reason, up from 52% in 2016. So what does this tell us, though, about society? Because we are supposed to be in the pro-life generation. We are supposed to be in uh, the era of technology where we can see a baby on an ultrasound. Um, we hear it at American Family Association support um, preborn, and we support uh, all of these organizations that are for life, and we support life itself in terms of every child uh, has a right to life. And yet, 
we see through hearing a heartbeat, seeing an ultrasound, that somehow that's not convincing the 55% of respondents in this survey and uh, voters in Ohio and some of these other victories. So what's the issue here? Well, I really think it comes down to a worldview problem in America. And we are failing as Christians to impact society beyond uh, pushing some conservative policies. And certainly there have been some wins. But when we talk about politics being downstream from culture, um, Andrew Breitbart's very famous saying, I, I think that that rings true in the sense that we have to continue to advocate for the truth on a social level before we even get to the ballot box. Because if we are trying to just turn out the vote and we are just trying to focus on politics and policies, we're losing sight of the fact that there are institutions that have gone woke and they have gone for CRT and DEI and, and atheism, frankly, and an evolution. And some of these basic assumptions of false worldviews that then inform American voters and the largest voting block right now of millennials and then Gen Z isn't super far behind. And we're informing the worldview as a culture to be premised in a false worldview. And so then when we look at the polls and we see how millennials and Gen Zs are voting, it shouldn't surprise us really that we're losing the issue of pro-life in some of these very critical battlegrounds. And so we need to do a better job at communicating the worldview and bringing people into a saving knowledge of Christ ultimately, but also continuing to impress upon young people in particular that Christianity and the Christian faith is not just about salvation. Obviously, that's the most important thing is to become saved. That's how you you enter into um, a re- regenerative uh, grace and, and obviously start uh, your Christian life. But you can't just have your faith compartmentalized. It has to outflow to everything else that we do. And to see some Christians who are suggesting, well, I'm a Christian, but I can't force my beliefs on others. And I wouldn't want to make that decision. That's between a woman and her doctor. Um, you know, all of these different excuses. We're forgetting the fact that our worldview requires us to speak truth and requires us to advocate for a moral and upright society. And it's not just about saying, well, I don't want to push my beliefs on others because I don't want them to push their beliefs on me. I'm happy to have a government that is so moral and upright that it would restrain evil and promote good. And if we really had a society that was driven toward that end, then Christians would be okay with that. And we should be good with a legitimate authority of a civil government that is functioning properly under truth. And I wouldn't be afraid of that. I mean, Romans 13 says that, that it's only the evildoers that fear government, but that's when government is operating legitimately. And so when we recede from, and and, the, and this is more of the view that government is bad altogether, then we're missing the point of legitimacy in the spheres of authority that God himself has ordained. And um, so I am praying for the next generation, and I'm so grateful for 
um, some of the Christian universities, um, like my little brother goes to Liberty University. My older brother went to Cedarville University. I mean, two really great colleges. There's Hillsdale, there's Regent. I mean, there's there's a lot of different um, Christian universities that encourage um, the the faith and the resolve of young people to learn about their worldview from a better perspective um, and a truthful perspective than just going to church on Sunday and then having a completely different worldview. And, um, and we're going to talk in the next segment um, about the the clash on a lot of uh, campuses in terms of um, in terms of how these institutions have kind of been um, captured. And, and we'll talk about that in the next segment. But um, there's some good news, in Iowa at least, that the Iowa Board of Regents has eliminated DEI initiatives in higher education. So this comes from the Daily Caller this morning that the Iowa Board of Regents recommended Thursday to eliminate diversity, equity, and inclusion DEI programs at state universities except for those programs that are necessary for federal compliance. So Republican Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed a bill in June to initiate, quote, a comprehensive study and review of the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs and efforts of each institution of higher learning, according to the state legislators, legislature's website. And the Board of Regents uh, president appointed a group to review the DEI programs in March, and the Iowa Board of Regents last week recommended to eliminate any DEI functions that are not necessary. And so this is a great win. And we're seeing that some of these college campuses that are state funded institutions from conservative states um, like Iowa, like Florida, um, that are getting rid of DEI in higher education. It's going to be fascinating over the next decade or so to see the differences between university graduates from those states versus some of these states that are on purpose trying to put DEI into uh, and infuse that into their curriculum and their overall campus experience. Uh, my alma mater, the University of Richmond a School of Law, I saw on the, the Facebook page that I follow last week that they appointed a, a dean of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And um, that was really tragic. I, I reposted that to my Facebook page and said, I'm very uh, sad to see that my alma mater is going woke. And and we're seeing this split. And I think that the differences are going to be so stark that we are going to see uh, these different laboratories of democracy, regardless of our federal headship in the federal government in D.C., we will see the differences among the states. And uh, we're also going to talk about later, later in the program uh, with our good friend Robert Salvador about the upcoming debate between Governor Newsom out of the very, very blue state of California and Governor DeSantis out of the very, very red state of Florida. That's coming up next week, next Wednesday. And that is a clash of ideology and of worldview. And I really hope that Governor DeSantis brings that out, puts the Christian worldview at the forefront and says, this is the reason. It's not just about conservative policy. It's about worldview. And that leads ultimately to freedom, prosperity, and liberty. So we'll be right back with more this morning on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Lee 
Aisha had found herself in an unplanned pregnancy and wasn't sure what to do. She searched for pregnancy services and found a preborn network clinic where she was counseled, supported, and offered a free ultrasound. After seeing her baby and hearing the heartbeat, she cried. She was certain she would keep her baby forever. Leisha gave birth to a baby girl who is smart, beautiful, and full of life. Often, she visits that same clinic and receives free clothes, diapers, and more. Because of your generous support, Preborn writes 200 stories just like these every day. $28 can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection and doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers in crisis choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are talking about the capture of institutions in higher education and uh, how the left is continuing to advocate for and promote their worldview uh, in terms of uh, infiltrating some of these institutions, particularly college campuses. And, you know, college is not just the place now where you go and you learn a trade and you get um, licensure benefits, for example. I mean, like I had to go to uh, seven years of higher education in order to be able to practice law, take the bar, all of that. Um, And, you know, and you learn some good things, but in the sense of a state-funded university, uh, there are a lot of other things that you learn, especially if they're focused on critical race theory, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and some of these other ridiculous uh, leftist agenda-oriented worldview topics that then infiltrate a lot of the substantive education that ultimately will will produce a product of a student that is transformed in their worldview through their years of college. And um, and some studies show, in fact, our good friends at Summit Ministries um, show that if a student is not grounded in their faith, then it's something like over 90%, and our, our friend um, Jeff Myers would have the exact statistic, that will go through youth group, go through even homeschooling, go through the Christian worldview all the way through high school, and then go to a secular university and lose their faith in just those four years of college. And so now we have protesters that are on a lot of college campuses, and uh, there is a movement, it seems like, across college campuses to be pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine, and really pro-terrorism. And so our good friend from Campus Reform, uh, Professor Nick Giordano, has written a great piece, The Revamp Education to Stop the Cultural Rot. And he says, for far too long, we've allowed the system to fail, and anti-Americanism, anti-Semitism, and a disdain for Western culture to flourish. And I would just add to that the biblical worldview and the Judeo-Christian worldview that is at the heart of Western civilization. So Professor Giordano joins us now. So this is a great piece, sir, and um, thanks so much for stopping by again. I always appreciate your comments, and um, we do need to revamp education to stop the cultural rot. Uh, Where do we start? 
Yeah, it really is disgraceful how far we've fallen. We're no longer producing students that are capable individuals ready to produce for society and improve the United States. Rather, we're producing ideological zealots. And just last week alone, I mean, we saw TikTok videos of young Americans coming out, sympathizing with Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. And a lot of people are blaming social media, but the real problem lies in education from K-12 and throughout college where we see this virulent anti-Americanism being pushed on a... There are solutions. One of the things that we have to do immediately is start to pull all the funding away from this diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda that has proven to be toxic within our society. It's a cancer that discourages merit. It portrays the United States as inherently racist and evil, And that's why we see an entire student body that no longer has loyalty towards the country that they've been in their whole lives. I mean, in fact, when you look at it, only 37 percent of Americans today feel that patriotism is important in a society. And if we look at the millennials and Gen Z, the numbers are even lower. How could our society survive if the people within it are taught to hate it? And that's the problem that people aren't seeing. Our education system is not educating students anymore. We got a report that SAT scores and ACT scores have dropped to their lowest levels in 30 years. This is after last year's history of dropping to the lowest levels. You have states like New York and Oregon that are redefining proficiency or eliminating it completely to prove uh, that you need to graduate from high school to get a high school diploma. You don't have to be proficient in reading, writing, and mathematics anymore. So we have to look at it. When we're investing over a trillion dollars a year in our education system from K to college, well, what's the return on investment? And it's certainly not working within the United States. Yeah, you're so right. And and to see how so many uh, young people have been sharing and sympathizing with um, bin Laden's message to America has just been shockingly disturbing. And and for those who really haven't seen that, uh, because it, it was on TikTok and then, of course, you know, then um, proliferated through the rest of social media. I mean, that message is basically glorifying and saying a uh, glorifying 9-11 and um, and giving an excuse for terrorism in America. And so. Um, there is a difference, I think, too, uh, Professor Giordano, between you know some of the students that are exchange students from other countries or they're here on visas that may have their own um, cultural view and they're coming in and we need to analyze that. And certainly um, people like Governor DeSantis are, are suggesting that when he's shutting down some of these um, pro-Hamas groups on state-funded college campuses. But when it comes to actually American students who have gone through the American education system, and they're the ones that are saying, oh, I have no patriotism toward America, I don't really care, and they're American citizens. I mean, what does that tell us about the state of our overall cultural vibe for for lack of a better word um or or just our our cultural awareness of why sovereignty as a nation matters um not just to political science and and to um to the overall functioning of civil society but an understanding and awareness of the concept of sovereignty well and that's why i take on the dei agenda because really that that's where it all goes back to i mean the idea that you have a, a young Americans coming out in support of Osama bin Laden or al-Qaeda. 
without even asking simple questions. You know, they sit there and say, well, it's because of our support of Israel, and that's what has led al-Qaeda to attack us. Well, that's just fundamentally false. I mean, Osama bin Laden never attacked Israel. If, if that was the whole reasoning behind al-Qaeda's war with us, why have they never conducted one attack inside Israel? And it tells you everything you need to know. We're not producing deep thinkers that would even ask those questions. So they're susceptible to the propaganda that's out there because they can't critically think. And we're producing undereducated, radicalized individuals that, that are pushing a toxic ideology. And if you look at DEI, so when I say discourages merit, many public schools throughout the program in the name of equity. They say it's unfairness. And what we see with the DEI agenda is that it's based on tribalism. It tries to tribalize our society. Now, any tribalized society fails. Just look at Afghanistan, look at Libya. In the United States, though, it's so much more dangerous because there's very little that actually links us together as a society. We don't have 2,000 years of history. We don't have a common culture, common traditions together. We're a bunch of different peoples from different places that have come together. And up until now, we've actually coexisted very well together. We've made it work. Other societies can never make this work. But we have. Now, when you begin to tribalize our society and break us down into groups, you're witnessing the results of that today. You're seeing these pro-Hamas rallies, the anti-American rallies, the Marxist movement that's going on. And, and all these groups are pit against each other to, to compete and that's what makes it curious, because if we don't have a nation that we're loyal to, loyal to, loyal to, and we beat ourselves down into these groups, we cannot survive as a nation, because where does the sovereignty lie? Does it lie with the nation, or does it lie with the groups? Yeah, I, I think that's perfectly said, and it, it is really disturbing to see how so many people are not proud anymore to be Americans and the understanding of what it means to be an American. Um, we, we were we are the great melting pot and to say everyone came here for liberty and freedom and we are Americans. Now it seems like nobody identifies as American. It's always with some other tribe or some other um, group or some other cultural basis rather than saying what do we all have in common and that is the American experience and um, and and how we have the American dream truthfully and so with the 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 uh, campuses that are pushing this diversity equity and inclusion um, are are they is there funding that is attached to this is there some kind of a reason that so many state campuses are saying that they have to get uh, DEI officers, or is there some other benefit rather than some of these states like Iowa um, and the legislation that was just signed um, that I talked about before the break that are now you know getting rid of their DEI programs on campuses, and we should applaud that. Um, but for the ones that are still keeping these in place, is there some benefit to these state-funded universities to have this in place? Well, two things with that. But before that, you just brought up the assimilation process, which is critically important in the United States. It used to be that people came here. They kept some of their uh, culture and traditions and customs. And then they also adopted the American values, American culture and customs. And, and that was the assimilation process. Well, today we have a system where America has to capitulate cultures that are coming over. We have to bow to those cultures rather than them assimilating into the American culture. So that's a huge problem. This about the mechanisms and the benefits to the students. Well, there's two aspects to this. One is an ideology. 
these people really believe what they're peddling out there. They, they really believe that America is inherently evil, or is inherently racist. And so they want to push a political agenda on the student body to create political activists. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is there's big dollars behind us. We're DEI industry has become a multi-billion dollar industry. A lot of people are getting rich off this, and college campuses are, are making funding for this through various mechanisms, whether it's nonprofits, whether it's through government grants. The amount of DEI grants, just for example, uh, you had the Biden administration come out a couple of days ago and announce that it's providing $5 million taxpayer dollars to build climate resilient centers on college campuses that will examine climate change and equity. It's not really about climate change. They're not really going to do any scientific studies about climate resilience. It's the idea of equity that's going to receive the funding. And so these colleges are getting an enormous amount of money from the government to push the DEI agenda. Wow. And and this is why we need better leadership to defund those programs and actually put funding into institutions that prioritize the the critical thinking and a strong foundation of each of the core subjects, as you write about uh, in your article saying that a recalibration is needed and students must be instilled with reading and writing skills, a sense of civic duty, and a genuine understanding of history. Um, I think those things are so critical. And what would it take on the federal level and and for the state's to do that in terms of defunding DEI and refunding um, th- these types of critical recalibrations? Well, as far as the federal level goes, it's difficult right now given that you have uh, the White House that has their intention is to push out there. But, I mean, Congress can't cut the funding to the DEI initiatives immediately. All they have to do is, is pass a law cutting the funding. So it's not that difficult. On the state and local level, People need to get involved. They need to go to school board meetings. They need to fight back. They need to raise awareness within their communities about what's being taught in the schools. And that's the DEI initiative there. We also need new officials in charge of the education system. The officials have given up the student body. They have low expectations, and that's why they keep on lowering standards. When you see students fail, the, the reaction shouldn't be, to lower standards to make them succeed, the reaction should be to get rid of all those officials that would do something like that. The Malian effect is real. If we set expectations higher, students actually achieve more. And so we need to put in officials that understand students are plenty capable of being able to think for themselves. Students are capable of analyzing information. I mean, my students, I came into my class, knew about slavery, they knew about the trail of Native Americans, Japanese, determined us. They know more about those subjects than the United States Constitution. So, against the information, they can reach a conclusion themselves. standards, and as far as funding goes at the college level, I do think that we need to reevaluate funding levels. Why do we taxpayers have to fund the creation of an entire generation that hates this country? That doesn't benefit us in any way. So, we need to put a system in place where colleges are reviewed, their programs are reviewed. If it's found that their curriculum programs are pushing useless degrees that aren't preparing them for their workforce society, if it's found that they're pushing anti-Americanism, anti-Semitism, from those schools. 
And I think that that will make a huge difference. At the K-12 through level, let the tax dollars follow the students. If the school is failing, well, that parent has the right to send their child to a neighboring public school district that's succeeding or a private school. That creates competition. Schools will have to change their ways and will start to have to improve when it comes to student performance. These are things that are doable. These aren't out of reach, but it takes more people getting involved, speaking up, speaking out in order to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. And yet the left is pushing against that, saying that, you know, this will uh, then discriminate against um, the poorest children. I mean, they have so many different excuses well, that undermine this. Because the thing about that is when we talk about tax dollars following students, that's not going to help the wealthy and elite in society. That actually helps the most vulnerable people within our society if the tax dollars follow those students. And that solution actually closes the academic achievement gap. Well, the, the left loves to state that the academic has widened to its widest levels. That's directly as a result of their policy where they kept schools closed for two years in some of the most difficult areas throughout this country. So when we talk about things like textiles uh, following students, that actually helps minorities in any other program that you could imagine. Yeah, and that makes so much sense. And in just about the last 30 seconds that I have with you, what about um, any Supreme Court decisions? I mean, we, we saw how they took away affirmative action. Could they do something like that with DEI, or is that too difficult? I think it's too difficult because, obviously, education comes from state governments with support of the federal government in this day and age. Uh, but you're not going to be able to rule that it's unconstitutional to teach this stuff to the student body. So I think that the court system is not going to be a successful method in order to get DEI overturned. I think it has to come internally. People have to wake up and speak out with it. So we got to get involved, and that's always the bottom line action message. So Professor Nick Giordano, uh, Professor of Political Science and also a fellow at Campus Reform's Higher Education Fellowship, thank you so much for your work on this and your encouragement this morning. His uh, piece is Revamp Education to Stop the Cultural Rot. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost-sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. 
welcome back. And next week on Wednesday, November 30th, we will see a clash of worldview ideologies between California Governor Gavin Newsom and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, One of them is open about running for president. That, of course, would be the Florida governor. One of them is maybe running for president. I think that Newsom is actually running kind of a shadow campaign because the DNC, in case you didn't know this, actually has rules that they passed as of, I believe it was just uh, last year. So it's been very recent and since Joe Biden has been president that if the nominee leaves or has to resign for any reason, the DNC can just unilaterally decide who to replace their top candidate with on the ballot. So everybody's suggesting that, hey, this is uh, it's it's too too far gone and we're already too far in the process. Joe Biden will be the nominee. Well, he might be, but it's not too far gone in terms of their own rules to replace Joe Biden down the road. And I, I'm i predicting and I think that that will happen. Of course, nobody knows, but I don't see how Joe Biden will not only be be fit enough to be the nominee, but how the Democrats are going to get past his abysmal approval ratings, their own party that absolutely abhors him. Uh, why wouldn't they put someone like Gavin Newsom in? Well, here to talk more about this and more is our good friend Robert Salvador, who is the CEO of a tech company out of Florida and also a Governor DeSantis supporter. So, Rob, thanks so much for joining. And uh, what's what's your your take on how the debate is going to go and how important is this for Governor DeSantis in terms of showing his policy, his worldview comparatively with some of the GOP debates that that, quite frankly, to me as a viewer, were frustrating? Sure. Well, yeah, happy to be back, Jenna. Always great to talk to you, and thanks for having me. Yeah, I think this next debate um, will be another great opportunity for Governor DeSantis to get you know some more time in front of the American people and get his message out there. I think anytime he can get that opportunity, it's a good thing. You know, the more the people who I hear listen to Governor DeSantis, you know, once they hear him talk about policy and they hear his command of these issues and, you know, they get reminded of all the things that he's done in Florida, you know, they get reminded of all the promises he's made that he then went along and kept, um, people are impressed. And so I think any opportunity that he gets to talk to the American people is a good thing, especially with the, you know, kind of basement campaign strategy that Trump has taken. So, yeah, I think that next um, debate with Gavin Newsom will be a great opportunity for the American people in general to see, you know, what the next generation of leadership can do. I think kind of across the board there is concern, um, you know, with having leaders or with having a president or two presidential candidates uh, who are 80 years old or above or would be 80 years old or above, you know, in this next presidential term. Um, You know, I heard Governor DeSantis in one of his interviews the other day talk about how airline pilots have to retire after 65 just for safety reasons. You know, it's science that our brains start to break down a little bit, you know, at that age. Um, And so I think this next debate will be an opportunity to see for all of America what the next generation of leadership can look like. Um, Specifically, you know, you see what's happening down in Florida. You see, you know, what many can describe as revival in Florida. You know, you've got that great economy down there. Governor DeSantis has taken action, you know, in the schools to protect children, you know, from this woke indoctrination and DEI, things like that. We've seen him be strong on immigration. We've seen him be strong removing the deep state. 
So I think it's a great opportunity for him to remind people of that. And, you know, again, to your point, the status and the way that these debates have gone um, has been pretty controversial. Um, You know, I'm not sure why there was what seemed like 50 people on there on those debates. Um, You know, that first debate, even the second debate, you know, I thought I was watching the Real Housewives of New York, you know, not a presidential (laughs) debate. So I think this one on November 30th with Governor DeSantis and Gavin Newsom will be a great chance to hear two people and two people who have a vision that might be different than, you know, what's currently going on in the U.S. And I think Governor DeSantis will perform really well on that. And I'm excited to hear him. Yeah, and, and you know, and to your point, uh, Robert Salvador, that um, you know this is an opportunity for the American people to see uh, more youthful and young leadership um, and and the clash on stage. I think that that will actually be helpful, oddly, from Gavin Newsom as well, just from the Democrats' perspective of kind of leaving this. Um, th- this president that can't even know what way off of the stage he should go. He can't even read his own teleprompter anymore. And um, and I think it will be really fascinating to see that clash of ideology and worldview from the far blue left um, to really the, the true conservative right. And I'm really looking forward to that clash. And I hope that um, this will also showcase that we can, as a country, Um, move forward into younger leadership yet again. And it does not have to be a repeat of Trump versus Biden, which the polls have been showing nobody wants. And um, it's also interesting, speaking about the polls, um, we we had a conversation yesterday about uh, Rasmussen and some of the social media kind of meltdown that they've had over some of um, these polls. So what's going on there and what should we know about? Sure. So, you know, obviously polls are presented as something that the American people can trust. And in many ways, you know, polls are a piece of information that really people look at when sometimes making decisions when they vote. Um, And like we've learned in many other cases, unfortunately, over the last few years in America, some of these institutions can't be trusted. And so on Twitter the last few days, or X, as it's now called, um, I went ahead and I posted a bunch of these polls that showed pollsters like Rasmussen completely incorrect in what they were putting out. Um, It started with a poll that I put out from 2011 where Rasmussen showed Rudy Giuliani uh, winning the Republican primary. And I think it was uh, Mitt Romney who was, you know, uh, only like 20 percent or something like that. And as everyone knows, Mitt Romney ended up going on to win that nomination, you know, pretty handily. And Rudy Giuliani didn't even make the top five. And so you look at these polls and you realize you're being fed this data that isn't accurate. And so I posted this and then Rasmussen, what appeared to be trying to defend themselves, posted a screenshot showing that all 50 of the major pollsters you've ever heard of, they were all wrong, too. And showed all of them showed Giuliani winning. Um, and excuse me, that was 2007, not 2011. The poll showed Giuliani winning in 2007. All of these polls. And so I then reposted that, basically saying, "Hey Rasmussen, you kind of just proved me right that your data is not accurate." So this has opened up. This then turned into Rasmussen blocking thousands and thousands and thousands of DeSantis supporters online who are asking for transparency in how they do their polling. 
And again, mm-hmm. this turned into a viral moment on X. Um, many different, you know, Trump influencers came to um, support the polls, which was very interesting. And so basically the overall theme that happened was you're seeing these polls that are being presented as accurate data, as trusted institutions, whether it's Rasmussen or Fox Polling or Wall Street Journal or Harris and Harvard. And then you look at the data going backwards, and there's nothing accurate about it. Just mathematically, there's no way to judge who someone's going to vote for right now this early. And so it brings up a broader conversation because Donald Trump is trying to use these polls as weapons. He literally tweeted yesterday or or posted on Truth Social that we should cancel the rest of the Republican primaries. Yeah, and and I actually have that. Yep, and I actually have that post um, that I was going to ask you about. And so uh, this is, to me, this was so frustrating because... Uh, he he posted on Truth, great polls just released, best ever. Harvard Harris shows Trump 67%. Um, he calls DeSanctimonious. Um, DeSantis, 9%. Bird Brain, 8%. Ramaswamy, 5%. Christie, dead in the water, total loser. Trump up 7% uh, to 10% on crooked Joe Biden. RNC must save money on the lowest ever ratings debates. Use it against to Democrats to, st- to stop the steal. If not, revamp the RNC now. So a lot of... Um, conservative influencers, or really their their MAGA influencers, were posting that truth social post saying that Trump was just calling to revamp the RNC and demanding change. But this really wasn't just demanding change at the RNC. It was demanding to basically cancel the primary and to coronate Trump because of the polls. Well, I mean, I'm old enough to remember that the polls in 2016 really were not accurate and didn't project the winner. But this just goes into this whole wider narrative, Robert, that the primary is over and it's a foregone conclusion that Trump is the nominee. He may be the nominee, but we haven't had any of the primaries in any states. Nobody has won a single delegate in uh, in Iowa yet. Nobody has won a single vote in any of the other states. So this primary is not over. And to suggest that the RNC and put pressure on them to say just cancel the rest of the debates because he's not participating actually is fundamentally against the American way that we have a constitutionally protected right as Americans to choose who our candidates are. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And, you know, it would be one thing if he was just calling for this, you know, out of nowhere and, you know, he thought this data was good. This is Donald Trump who taught everyone that the polls were fake news. Literally in 2016, I don't know if there was a bigger lesson than when Trump basically exposed all these polls as influence mechanisms, as bought and paid for misinformation tools to suppress votes or to try and stop donations to a candidate. You know, to your point in 2016, I always post this, what is a poll of polls, um, by HuffPost. And at the end of it, HuffPost basically said, there is a 98% chance, our model shows a 98% chance Hillary Clinton wins. Right? So we know that didn't happen. So to call for canceling the debates based on that, what Donald Trump knows is inaccurate information, it is, it is truly you know, a threat. If people want to talk about a threat to democracy, let's talk about citing polls with no transparency, no proven accuracy as a way to cancel our democratic process. The most important thing we do as citizens is choose in our republic who represents us. 
in that democracy. And he wants to cancel it based on this data. The last thing I'll say about it, you know, about how just bad it is, we learned during COVID how statistics can be manipulated. Do you remember when the CDC, another trusted institution that, you know, we know we can't trust now, would tell us, oh, 5,000 people a day are dying from COVID. You have to stay in the house. Well, then after it was all over, we found out 4,999 of them did not die from COVID. They just happened to have COVID when they passed away in a car accident or something like that. So they were lying with their data. You're seeing the same thing right here, right now with these polls, another institution where you cannot trust the data. So the primary process is an important part of our democracy to suggest canceling it is wrong. And I am going to be starting a movement and calling for a movement for transparency behind these polls. If you're going to claim to represent our democracy, you darn sure better be able to prove it. And that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, and those are great comments, uh, Robert Salvador, and it goes into the broader principle that we need to, as conservatives, always be concerned about the principle and fundamental fairness and having our institutions call balls and strikes fairly, and then the person who actually wins the game is the winner. And rather than trying to manipulate polls and whether they're good or bad for your candidate uh, is whether they're based on accurate stats and accurate polling, it's interesting to me to see how so many people on the so-called right are trying to manipulate things just in favor of their preferred candidate. That's not the way that conservatives should operate. And having that type of double standard really looks a lot like the left, and we should be doing better as conservatives. And speaking of um, not not having a double standard, and I want to get your reaction to this comment, because um, this was a clip from a uh, prominent person who's running for president that I had tweeted if a trans dude in a dress and lipstick made a video saying this exact same thing, conservatives would be horrified. What is coarse language and unsuitable for kids doesn't depend on who's saying it. This is the clip, and I want to get your reaction. He was with four hookers. You think that was good that night to go up and tell my wife, it's not true, darling, I love you very much. It's not true. Actually, that one she didn't believe because she said he's a germaphobe. He's not into that, you know? He's not into golden showers, as they say they call them. He's not. I don't like that idea. No, I didn't. I thought that would be a big problem. I was going to have a rough night, but that one she was very good on. She said, no. So this was at a rally where children were present and you have a candidate talking now about golden showers and hookers. Is that really where we're going as conservatives? Robert, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, obviously completely inappropriate, um, you know, in probably not what people in Iowa um, who, you know, probably hold themselves to a pretty high standard uh, would want to hear or would want to even be talking about at a place where they showed up to talk about, you know, a presidential debate to hear about the serious issues that are facing this country. So, you know, just out the gate, that's that's a ridiculous comment. I think more broadly, though, it just shows a pattern with Trump of him claiming to be someone because it benefits him, right? Claiming to be a conservative, claiming to have these principles. And then later you hear him flip-flop or do something that shows maybe he wasn't being quite so honest about who he actually is. 
this is one example, right? I mean, you don't see. Yeah, no and we're gonna we're gonna have to leave it there, Robert moment. Salvador. Really appreciate your comments this morning. I hope that we can get back to a moral and upright society and having goodness and morality in our candidates. That'd be a great thing. But that's just me. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest-serving health cost-sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org AFR. That's chministries.org AFR.